God, you are blessed. And we, we celebrate you, we honor you, we give this time to you. Grateful that you don't give up on us. In awe of, of your, your greatness, um, but your accessibility at the same time. We thank you for this time, and I pray that you will open our, our hearts and our minds to your word today, and that you will speak to us this morning, and that we will be able to hear what you have to say. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Well, there are some pretty strange laws on the books out there, um, some that are Kind of entertaining. Here's a few ones, uh, a few that I found. In Alabama, it's illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. That's my favorite. I think we have, we, we need several laws around what is and is not appropriate for laughter in church. In California, women may not drive in a house coat. I, I don't know how many of you have driven in California, but I think there are a lot bigger concerns than women wearing housecoats. In Florida, if an elephant is tied to a parking meter, then you have to pay the parking fee as if it was a vehicle that is attached to the parking meter. In Nebraska, it's illegal for bar owners to sell beer unless they're also brewing a kettle of soup. So, you know, soup, beer, goes well together. All right, um, in New York, it's against the law to throw a ball at someone's head for fun. I guess you can throw it for other situations, but not for fun. Um, in Texas, it's illegal to shoot a buffalo from the second story of a hotel. Man, all those times that I saw those buffalo in the second story of the hotel sitting there enjoying your cup of coffee. Hey, grab the shotgun. No, I don't know what's going on there. I'm just trying to imagine the situation that caused some of these laws to get on the books. Some of them are probably urban legend. I don't spend all the time to go and research all of these. They may be old. They may be something that made sense at one point, but make absolutely no sense now. Um, but I don't know how you feel about laws. Laws can be something that give you great comfort because the law is there to protect you, right? Or maybe the law is something that is very confining and restrictive. Others, it's a challenge, right? You want to be able to see what you can do to get up to that line of the law. Or, or maybe it doesn't quite apply to me. Maybe you can outsmart it. But whatever your relationship is with the law... We're in chapter 5 of the story. So if you've been reading along with us, you know that this is a chapter where we receive the law. We're in this series titled The Story, where we're looking at excerpts of, of Scripture from, from Genesis to Revelation and looking at God's big picture, God's big story. We're calling that the upper story. And in this story, we see God's plan for us, God's love for us, his desire to be in relationship with us. And we look at our day-to-day -day lives, our, our individual stories, and we see that as, as the lower story. And that lower story is, is something that we find ourselves in. And we see ourselves in the big story. Chapter 5 is the story of, 
of Moses. It continues. We last week talked about Moses being called. Moses being called out in, as from a shepherd. We see this burning bush. He's called into something and he goes in to, to deliver his people. He's called to, to approach Pharaoh, to approach the king and say, let my people go. And Moses leads the people out of captivity and they are set free. We saw this dramatic story that, that culminated in the 10th plague where, where the, the death angel comes through and the firstborn is killed from every family. And they were only saved by that. The Israelites were saved by the blood of the Passover lamb that was spread over the doorposts. And that, that Passover happened where the death angel passed them over. And at the start of chapter 5, God speaks to Moses. He calls the people to the base of the mountain, and this huge crowd gathers around. And in chapter 5, God says this to Moses. This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenants, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God has a desire to be in a relationship with us. And as we've talked about from previous weeks, God wants to be in this relationship with us. And he forms this covenant with Abraham, and that, Abra and that covenant continues on from generation to generation because God wants us to be in a relationship with him. It is not a contractual relationship where we are left to, to find out if we do the right thing, then we get something from God. We are in this relationship with him, and he longs for us to be with him. And so we see that continued on here where there had seemed to be a time where, where God was so distant, God was so far away, and God comes back. God wants us to be in this covenant relationship with him. And so to be in that covenant relationship with him, he has to set some guidelines. He has to set some things for us to follow, some things that define what this relationship is. It defines who we are and, and what we've been called to. It's not a set of laws that confines us. It's not something that becomes a straitjacket for us. It's something that comes to us as, as, as saying, hey, I am God and you are my people and this is what a relationship between the two of us is defined as. It gives us instructions. And so there is this huge crowd that's gathered at the base of the mountain and they hear these words from God and, and God is speaking to his people and defining for his people what life is to be like in the kingdom that he is building, in this nation that he's building. He calls them here. And it is at this point, he gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them this story, these, these ten things that we're so familiar with. These things that, that are etched into buildings. These things that are etched 
into our memory, the things that we even sing about as children. And we get to this point where, where we're given these Ten Commandments and the people respond with this. Everything the Lord says we will do. And he gives us these guidelines and they see these guidelines and they say everything the Lord says we will do. Well, if you know the story, if you've read through the chapter, if you have any experience with the Bible whatsoever, you know that they don't really hold up their end of the bargain on this. Everything the Lord says we will do. Yeah, right. Sure. But that is the, the heart that, that is coming at this time, that the people come and they are at the feet of God and God shows up in this miraculous way and he jumps in and says, I want to be in relationship with you and here's how we're going to define this relationship. I'm going to give you four rules, four rules that are about you and your relationship with me and I'm going to give you six rules that are about your relationship with each other and if you will live in this relationship, if you will be together here, if you will follow these things, then you will be able to live life in the kingdom, in the nation that I'm establishing. This will be the life that we have. We're pretty familiar with these 10, and there's a variety of ways that we can go through them. And so instead of putting them on PowerPoint slides and, and going through 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, I want us to take a moment to view this video clip here. The desert sand whirls with the wind, carried by cries of distant Egyptian echoes, the Red Sea long closed. A voice, rich and flowing like heaven's fountain, calls from the smoke-covered mountain. You have seen what I have done, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Israel's eyes have cried a wealth of tears through countless lost years, but now she is free. Free from Pharaoh's orders, free from Egypt's borders, free from the slave work of brick and mortar. For these slaves have seen their creator command his creation, and now this God has chosen them to be his holy nation. If you keep my covenant and follow my annunciations, so this people with one voice raise their shouts to the skies of endless blue, everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. This promise offered like a bouquet to God from his chosen few came from all Israel, meaning every single Jew was entering into a new covenant, but none of them could fathom what this promise meant. For they were promising to be steadfast, to abandon their past. And no matter what God asked, no matter the test or request, they had pledged to answer yes. Now this was so much more than mere obedience, more than sheer compliance. For this covenant ensured their entire reliance on God alone. For the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am, seated on heaven's throne, was building a home with insignificant Israel. So God posted some house rules to protect his own children, to set apart his holy brethren. And from this intention to hold the world and the kingdom in tension came the intended commandments of 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. So one, you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make any idol for worshiping. Three, 
You shall not take my name in vain or make it empty. For you shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The tens first four at their very core say with no facade that our God is a jealous God, that there is no golden calf, no idol half as glorious as our Lord. For what more could we strive? Let the ten begin again with five. Honor your father and mother. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not be an adulterer. We are meant to worship God as master and serve him only, but how are we to relate to one another in a way that is holy? Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not falsely with a neighbor deal. And 10, you shall not covet anything another real. These final three aim to defeat deceit and greed from polluting our souls. For Satan prowls and patrols, looking for ways to circumvent our covenants hold out on sin, to desecrate and condemn the precepts protected by the ten. So may this people cry out for all that is holy and true. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. For it's the same today for me and for you. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're still called to obey like those wandering Jews. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. For we are the royal priesthood. We are the chosen few. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. So let the ten spoken then begin again for me and you and say it with me if you choose everything the Lord has spoken we his people will surely do so everything the Lord has spoken we will do God presents this to them and gives this to them and this is before they're written down they hear God give these commands and they hear the voice of God, and they're, they're presented with this here, and, and they respond in such a dramatic way, way, everything that God says we will do. And there is this relationship being formed, this covenant being formed between God and the nation that he's building. They come together as one, and everything that the Lord has said we will do. There's this dense cloud over the mountain and Moses goes up to receive these commands from God to be written on tablets. And he is up there with God and the people get impatient and how quickly they forget, how quickly they forget their statements of everything the Lord says we will do. They have heard these, and while, while they are waiting impatiently for Moses, who is up on the mountain, they say to Aaron, make us a god. Moses has left us. He has abandoned us. Make us a god. And so, so Aaron, the one who has witnessed all of this from the very beginning, he has witnessed the plagues. He has witnessed Moses up against Pharaoh. He has witnessed God working and parting the Red Sea, and he says, okay. Bring me your gold. And I'm going to melt down this gold, these gold earrings of millions of people, and I'm going to form this calf so that you have something physical to worship. Here is your God, Israel. This is the God, even though this is what you just witnessed and have seen, this is the God who delivered you out of Egypt. And the people throw a ridiculous party. And Moses comes down from the mountain and as he gets closer and closer to the camp, he hears this party going on and he gets here and sees 
this golden calf. And in this dramatic act, he throws the tablets down, and Aaron responds with this. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Wow! I'm like, how many of you have heard a three-year-old come up with some sort of excuse for why something is broken? It's like worse than that excuse. Like, throw it into the fire and out jumps this calf? Really? And so this is what they are celebrating. This is what they are partying around. And this is so, so close to this experience that they just had where they encountered God, and God gave them these rules, these guidelines for a relationship with him. And they have already forgotten that they had made this promise to do everything that God has said to do. And here they are breaking the first two commandments right out of the bat. No other gods before me. No other gods before me. And it's easy to look at the Israelites and think how ridiculous they are. But then you start looking at yourself. Let's start looking at our own lives. The no other gods before me. Your salary cannot be more important than he is. Where you live cannot be more important than who he is. Your family cannot become more important than he is. Your participation in a sport cannot become more important than he is. Your hobbies, your activities, your friendships, your relationships, those cannot become more important than who he is. No other gods before me. Nothing comes before me. This comes first. Everything else falls in line underneath that. And here they are wanting a God to present to them. But if you choose to side with God, if you choose to obey this first commandment and say that there is no other God before me, there are are no other priorities, there is nothing else that I place above God, then our response can be, everything the Lord says we will do. Psalms 106 gives us a picture of this scene and how crazy it is. At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They gave something up that eats grass. This bull eats grass, and they traded the God of the universe, the God that they have witnessed doing such incredible things, they traded that for a grass-eating bull. And how ridiculous is that? Why would you choose a cow when you can choose God? But why would you allow a relationship? Why would you allow a hobby? Why would you allow a paycheck or your friendships or your family members to become more important than God? We choose a grass-eating cow all the time. What is your grass-eating cow? We all have that thing. 
We have that thing that we want to spend our time on, the thing that we want to spend our resources on, our energy on, our focus on, and that becomes our God. And we choose the grass-eating cow instead of God. We make those foolish decisions with regularity. But if God wants to have a relationship with us, he has to give us guidelines. But second, he has to have a place to dwell a place for God to dwell. He wants to be right there in the middle of them. So he comes up with this plan to have a tabernacle, this tent that is portable, that will go with them as they travel. But it's at the center of their camp. And this tabernacle is a place of worship, but it's not just a place of worship like a church building. It is the dwelling place of God. And it is so elaborate, and it is so so detailed in God's instruction of what this thing should look like, how it should be structured, how it should be made, who should make it, and with what materials it should be made. And this becomes a dwelling place for God. But in a lot of ways, it also becomes a throne for a king. Because God is the king. And so this becomes this this sacred place. But it is also a powerful place where at the center of this camp, there's not a castle with a a human king, but there is this tabernacle, this, this great place of worship with God resting there and dwelling there. God takes up residency right in the middle of the camp. He wants to be there with them. And so the Israelites beg for forgiveness In Exodus chapter 34, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if you have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. We screwed up. Forgive us. We're horrible. Let's make it better. Let's get this relationship back on track. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. This language covenant again shows up. I'm making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is your work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Pezzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god. Do not worship any other god for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. They come before God and and repent of their sins and and the the covenant relationship is restored again. God says, I want a relationship with you. And this is what you can do. You can do great things. You can be a blessing to other nations. That was the promise to Abram, right? Your, Your nation will be a blessing to other nations. And so we have these relationships that are formed here and they're joined together. And so we look at these stories and and think, so what? How does this apply to us? What what is going on here? This is the God of the Old Testament, right? It doesn't count. But no, this, this theme of covenants, 
This idea of relationship is something that we see throughout the chapters that we've been in so far. But it's something that we will see continue on throughout the story of Scripture. This idea of covenant, God wants to be with his people. He wants to be in relationship with his, with his people. This is a diagram that we saw in our series, Identity Theft, where the father comes and the father pursues his people and desires his people and wants to be in a relationship with them. And he comes to them and says, this is what I want for you and this is what I want from you. I want you to be a people that bless other people. I want you to be a people like, like the 10 say, they love God and they love others. Because we've got these, these commands that say, this is your relationship with God and this is your relationship with others. And if you will follow this, if you will be these people, then you will be a blessing to others. You will be a blessing to other nations. And so this is what I want from you. And I am going to make a nation. I'm going to rename this nation. I'm going to, to give you an identity. And so we see at the top of this triangle, it's a little faded out, but there's a triangle there. At the top is Father. Father, God, is, is who he is. Regardless of what we do, regardless of how we want to define him, he is who he is. I am is what he calls himself. This is the God that we serve. And that God gives us an identity. He says, you are heirs. You are heirs to this kingdom that I'm building. I'm forming you into something. I'm creating you into something. And it is through that identity that we are obedient to God. So you look at something like the Ten Commandments and you see these as guidelines because it is a father who is saying, this is your purpose. This is what you're called to do. You are to be a blessing to others. And in that context, I'm gonna give you these guidelines to follow. It is not where we start with obedience and say, we're going to be obedient and hopefully God will like us. If we can do the right thing, if we can jump through the right hoops, if we can go to the right church services at the right times, at the right place, then God will have favor on us. It's backwards. We have a Father who is who he is, regardless of what we want. And he gives us a calling, he gives us an identity, and we are obedient out of that. And so when we say everything the Lord has said we will do, it is out of the context of this covenant, this relationship that is formed with a father. God was the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were the first recipients of this covenant. And now we inherit this same relationship. We inherit this relationship with God. But we no longer have to worship at a tabernacle or a temple. We no longer have to worship with sacrifices because that last Passover lamb was sacrificed for us, as we talked about last week. That Jesus comes in and, and helps redefine this relationship with Father. That now we have an identity in Christ. That we are co-heirs to the kingdom of God. And it is out of this identity that we act. We don't earn our identity through a contractual behavior. We gain our identity through the Father, through a covenant. 
Remember, in our very first verse, it talked about the people of Israel being a kingdom of priests. It wasn't that they were just saved so that they could have a great vacation. It wasn't so that they could get out of Egypt and then just have a free-for-all. They were saved for a purpose. They were saved to be a kingdom of priests. They were saved to be a people who blessed other nations. There was a very clear calling on them. God did not go in and pull them out of Egypt just for kicks. He pulls them out and says, I've got something for you. I have a job for you. We've inherited the farm, but there's work to be done on the farm. We're not slaves anymore, but that doesn't make things quick and easy. There's still responsibility to be had. And so that's where this other diagram comes in. We've got this idea of kingdom. God is calling us to be a people. He's calling us to be a nation. And the kingdom of God, we talked so much about that in our, in our journey over the last year looking at Jesus. And how the kingdom is here and now. God is calling us to action. We are not simply saved just so we can go to heaven. We are saved for a purpose. We're saved for a reason. God wants to use us and work through us to bless others. He wants us to love others, to love our neighbors, to care for our neighbors, to care for one another. He wants us to live in harmony and unity with one another. And because he is the king, he has all authority. It's his kingdom. He makes the rules. He defines how things are. But that king says you are my princes and princesses. That the authority that I have as king, I give you authority. And now you can live with the same authority that Jesus Christ has. Because we're not just in the kingdom. We are heirs of the kingdom. We have the keys. And we have the authority that God gives us to take great action. And when you see that, when you realize that, when you really understand that we have the God of the universe dwelling inside of us, giving us his authority to act, his authority to make a difference in this world, then we have incredible power. The power that we have as followers of Jesus is the power of a holy and living God dwelling inside each and every one of us. And so he calls us to a purpose. We have a responsibility. It is not just about having a cozy relationship with God. I've got my quiet time. I've got my prayer and then we're done. It is about a responsibility that we have as heirs of his in this kingdom that he's given us. He says, here is the world. Be a blessing to it. Make a difference in it. Do something. Go. Go. And be a part of this. Be a part of this plan that I have to bring blessing on the world. We have the power of the king working through us. Moses confronts Pharaoh not because he's an eloquent speaker, not because he's super brave, but because he has the authority of God given to him and he has the power of God working through him. So he can go up to Moses and say, let my people go. It is not based on anything that Moses did. 
He was a murderer. He was a recluse. He was stuck out in the wilderness. He was a shepherd. And he said, no, I don't want that. And God said, I want you anyway. Because when I work through you, my power is seen. I don't want powerful people. I want people who will use the power of God working through them. Because then we can celebrate who God really is. The story of Moses gives us this vision of covenants, a people who are called to something, a people that are formed, a people that are created for a clear purpose. And they are not saved just to be saved. And the same goes for us. We don't come into a relationship with Jesus for fire insurance. This is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card, I get to go to heaven, you don't. God is calling us to so much more than that. He's calling us to be a people who take the responsibility seriously. That he has done something for us. He has done something dramatic for us on a cross. And that's not just so we can sit on our our gold streets and lounge around and sip lemonade for eternity. He wants something from us. And so if we can see our relationship with the king, the relationship with the father, and who he is and what he has called to do, it will radically transform our lives. Because we are not operating out of our own authority. We're not operating out of our own power. We're not obeying just to to get into the good graces of God upstairs. We are a people with a mission. A people with a purpose. Being saved is not the end. It is just the beginning of a life that can be such an adventure such a dramatic adventure that we can write stories like this and we can be a part of this story. God is working to reveal himself as both covenant and kingdom in us. God is calling to you. What are you doing with that call? He's He's calling you into something. He has a purpose for you. He wants you to cross through that Red Sea and and get through to that place. What is that place that he's calling you to? It could be a conversation with the coworker. It could be a, a relationship with your kids. It could be more time in the word. It could be your involvement with your neighbors. It could be any number of things. What is God calling you to step out and do? Because he wants to use you to be a blessing to others. So what does he want from you? Let's be standing. God calls to his people. And we respond everything that God says we will do. Wow, if we could be that kind of people, that everything he says we will do, every time he says, talk to that person, share this story, be an influence in this place, 
Form a relationship here. Be quiet here. Speak up here. If we could do everything that God calls us to do, what would this world be like? That's God's vision for his people. That's his calling for us. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And this is a time for you to come and pray with one of the shepherds or, or you can pray with each other in the pews. You can pray silently or you can, you can sing this song. But this is a time for us to think about, okay, what is God calling me to? God, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Because too often we walk through those doors and continue on in our path as if nothing had happened. God wants something from us. What are you going to do about it? God, we thank you for the story of Moses. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for speaking to us. I pray that we will have ears to hear. God, I pray that we will be a people that love you and do all the things that you have called us to do. And that we will be obedient to your call to love others. God, make us that kind of people where we are being used by you and that, that your power is seen through us. Your actions are seen through us in the life that we live. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.